0: Thanks to everyone who contacted me last week to let me know that this episode failed to release properly across all of the podcast apps. Unfortunately, it was a case of bad timing. This happened just as I was going on the road traveling, and what normally would have taken minutes or hours to resolve took days. By the time I got to resolution, so much time had elapsed, it was better off to pull it down and re-release it this week, the week of Monday, March 28th. You're going to hear some references to dates that refer to last week. If you want some updates on any of the dates that have also shifted, come on over to Instagram at Free Your Inner Guru, and I'll be posting there all week. Enjoy this fabulous conversation with Kathleen O, psychedelics, politics, and predators. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, the podcast for discerning seekers, where we have all of the community and none of the cult. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. If you're a fan of the show and want to join the conversation, you can subscribe to the Free Your Inner Guru Patreon page. Your subscription includes access to our discourse community, live monthly Zooms, and some pretty cool merchandise. Your Patreon subscription helps keep the show going free of ads and supports me as an independent creator, for which I am very grateful. I'd love it if you would take a moment to go to patreon.com forward slash free your inner guru and subscribe to support the show. It's been a hot minute since we've had a podcast. So I'm going to take a step back. First of all, welcome, Kathleen. I'm going to introduce you in a moment. I'm just so happy to have you here. I it was so really good to be here. here. <laughs> welcome back <laughs> and thank you for having me inside. Yeah. And thank you for being my re-entry into podcasting. Just a little bit of a story. First of all, If you're new to the podcast and maybe forgot what this podcast is all about and who I am, because there was a a huge number of people that came and subscribed and downloaded past episodes after the uh, interview that I did with uh, Sarah and Nippy on A Little Bit Culty. And that was released late in last year. And I did a reciprocal, almost like a part two interview with them as well. So if just to remind you, I don't always start introducing myself this way, but I think I may going forward. So I'm Laura Tucker. I am a recovering coach. I am newly employed, which, after nineteen years of self-employment, which had everything to do for the two- month lapse in episodes. and uh, And I'll share more. And Kathleen's very aware of the whole situation and and how it all came about. But big life change. And if I had any idea, it would be a couple of months before, releasing an episode I would have done something on social media or sent out an email but it's been a really rapid ramping up period and uh, and the thing that I forgot to mention which is how you might know me is I was in the movie Enlighten Us the Rise and Fall of James Arthur Ray and in Guru the Dark Side of Enlightenment which was a great big Wondery podcast that released in 2020 which seems like a lifetime ago at this point And uh, Free Your Inner Guru is coming up on, I'm I'm coming up on the fifth um, anniversary next month in April, and uh, we're on episode 98 or 99. I can't remember. (laughs) I'm sure to find out when I make up the graphics later, but I'm really like cruising in at (laughs) a hundred. And one of the reasons why I am just laughing at myself right now is that I ordered a new MacBook late last year. And because I'm me and, and I need one that's for photography and video and podcasting, I ordered a custom one. And the first one shipped about six weeks because it had to be custom built. And then it got stolen. It got all the way to yeah. Brampton, which is a city just out by the Pearson, is International Airport. And uh, And then I had to get it replaced. And it took another three or four weeks to get here just before Christmas. And oh my gosh, I haven't used any of this tech since probably November. And, uh, and so we're just uh, limping along here with lights, camera, action, and a very patient and cooperative guest. We'll build in the job into our conversation, Kathleen, because I don't want you just sitting there feeling like, why am I here for, for 10 minutes or so? But uh, I want to introduce Kathleen. And I think the story of how we met really will bring us in. And I'm gonna, Kathleen, I'm going to get you to help me also with how we're going to frame today's conversation. So I met Kathleen last year and she was a listener of the podcast and she and I listened to a little bit culty and other podcasts like Conspirituality and probably other ones. But Kathleen, gosh, I'm so grateful for you actually right now, Kathleen, because without knowing me at all, with no previous connection, you jumped on as a community member and a big supporter of the show. And you came in at, you know, it's on Patreon and it's, there's three tiers, I think at this point, $5, $25 and $50. And I've always had that. I had visions for what I wanted the community to be like and what while I was still in this sort of half in and half out of the self-help world, what I wanted it to be like. And so I created those tiers based on it and you just jumped on it. You were the first person. I should qualify that. The first person who I didn't already know, having worked with or met live in real life or in Zoom life over the course of the pandemic. And so I remember from thinking back, at that point, I wanted to get face-to-face with anyone coming into the community and just to see what is this going to be like now that the audience has shifted. And oh my goodness, what a ride it's been and what a friendship has developed such as it is happening in this world as people who have survived and who have, who have, really had to grapple with some of the issues of the day relating to all the things we're going to talk about. There's very strong bonds because we've broken off from communities and and are probably looking for newer, healthier community. But more than anything, like I think right now is a really great time to shout out to like all 14 patrons of this podcast. You are helping pay down some of the expenses. This is not a profitable venture. I certainly had high hopes on that a couple of years ago, but that's, it's just part of the story, I think. And I'm in it for the long haul and I'm in it to do what I can in this world. And I'm just so grateful to you. So I'm going to get your bio, Kathleen. I'm going to read some of it, but then we're just going to talk. How's
1: that? Okay, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And I just wanted to say, I'm glad that there's, an opportunity for us to connect this way, because even you mentioned the small community, it is a select few, but it's also a precious place to have these conversations. And that's why I appreciate you so deeply. Thank you. And
0: me too, because I'm on this journey with everybody else, as are, if you're a a listener of A Little Bit Culty, when survivors start up a podcast and you just don't know how it's going to go, especially Mm -hmm. in this subject area where it's about self-help and wellness and leadership. And all of that has been true to the podcast from day one, like since its inception. And but really, there's been a huge shift into some real critical analysis of the communities that we belong to. And so before we get into that further, because we've got lots to cover. So the short guest bio for my podcast form. So <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen O helps others heal and experience dynamic growth via self-exploration, personal breathwork practices and educational guidance. And she helps clients learn to expand into the possible. And uh, on the longer intro here, her role is to educate and guide curious explorers through microdosing, psychedelics, and breathwork, and most importantly, hear, heal and expand. Personally, Kathleen has overcome childhood trauma, depression, and existing. And in her own 15 years of coaching practice, she's guided clients and students to master their minds by leveraging the power of breathwork, psychedelics, and integration, Offline, Kathleen lives in Niagara, Ontario, just around the Golden Horseshoe from Toronto. Loves to hike with her dogs. She feels most connected when in nature. Her favorite moments are in the darkness and deep cold of a Canadian winter. We haven't met in real life yet, but we both know that day is coming. We're both Canadians. We live close to each other. We have to do what Canadians do when we get together Let's spend a moment on the weather. What's it doing in Niagara?
1: We got a, a weather warning today. Hopefully you can't hear it, but there's garbage cans flying. It's absolute mayhem outside with the wind. So it's yeah. a beautiful sunny day. It feels like spring, but the wind is, is outrageous.
0: Yeah, and it's similar here, as you can imagine, but you're around the other corner of the lake, which the lake has a huge impact at Lake Ontario, just for reference. It's Sunday, March 6th. This is probably going to go out tonight or t- if, if not um, tomorrow, we'll see how long it takes me on all the new tools. Because <laughs> it used to take hours, which is why I bought the new Mac. But anyhow, yeah. My husband and I walked to the bakery, came back, sat. we got out our bistro set, sat outside, drank a tea, and had our scones and soaked up the sun today. That is how beautiful a day it is. And it's just a little mini break because it's March and we know winter's not quite done with us just yet. Yeah, we yeah. never know. I feel hopeful. I think maybe we're done. Yeah, oh, that would be amazing. When you and I met and I saw your, I'm not sure, I think you introduced yourself in a note to me or in the discourse community. And I saw that you do work in psychedelics and we got on and we had a philosophical conversation. About it. I I don't know if you recall that conversation in detail, but I was upfront with you that I didn't know much about the use of psychedelics in personal growth and that I wasn't, that I was, it made me uncomfortable. And one of the reasons why it made me uncomfortable has a lot to do with my experience in James Arthur Ray's sweat lodge, because it was in that period of time, the personal growth journey that I was on was, I'm not going to say all about, but very much about pursuit of altered states. And with my horrific experience, I've taken us not a stand or it's my opinion or it's my experience. That's something that that I'm avoiding in my ongoing, you know life journey. And uh, it doesn't mean that I don't like to drink a glass of wine or I've had experiences when I was younger with drugs that didn't really encouraged me to continue. I had you know a couple of bad experiences when I was very young. And so I wanted just I wanted to talk about it if you're cool with that. And and we've never really got into it in any kind of detail. So I'm curious because gosh, like I've grown to just not just love you as a friend, but really respect your perspective and your experience that brought us together. So let's start with your work and then let's talk about our how our journeys collided.
1: Yes, I, you know, thank you for this opportunity and your honesty about your level of comfort and knowing um, that this conversation is obviously personal as well as professional. So I was led into the psychedelic world through um, my own curiosity, but I want to share though that I've spent a number of years in my career working with altered states induced through hypnosis and NLP. That was my training. So as a coach, my specialty and the work that I've done in for the last 15 years has been to work with the subconscious mind to create these opportunities for people to shift. The original training that I did in college was social work. And I had felt that many of the options for people when I worked in uh, public service were limited. And so I had my own personal breakdown with mental health. And while I was in the mental health field, seeing that the options for the people that I was working with and then finding myself in the same uh, situation, I had really truly believed that there was something within myself that I could muster up or the power within myself to heal and to be um, able to take control rather than to change my state with pharmaceuticals. Even though at the time ph- pharmaceuticals was a really good option, I didn't want it to be the only solution. I wanted there to be a, a toolkit of things that I could offer my myself and my clients. And I had been introduced to hypnosis when I quit smoking, and I literally thought it was the magic bullet. And when I was able to find people when I was trained and went into private practice, because I realized that being in public service and mental health was actually not good for my mental health. And I wanted to be able to work with something that I felt people had more options and choices. And looking back, I think I did the best I could with what I had and was told in in the culture of coaching and in these altered states using subconscious tools that these were safe and effective and it was something that people were able to heal from and work with and that it was always there that they always had the power of choice because i had been so successful in my healing i really felt like i was offering people an opportunity to be successful in their own healing and i believe that the the door was opening to some indoctrination Like mind control. I know this conversation is going into psychedelics, but I was very familiar with the use of altered states induced through hypnosis and NLP, Mm -hmm. as well as breath work. But I had, again, there are three significant times in my life where I had what I would call mental breakdowns. And there was one in the middle, (laughs) not the most recent, but one in the middle where I had recovered an addiction. And that addiction um, was to food and alcohol. I was a gray area drinker. It wasn't really obvious to me that I was using food and alcohol to manage my, my anxiety and a lot of unhealthy patterns within myself. And when I wasn't able to control it with the tools that I knew, I had to look for something that I felt was a safe option, especially when there was, at this time it was 19, 2016, 2017. So there was science that was supporting the work of psychedelics especially when it came to addiction and depression. And I feel like I had a low hum of anxiety and depression my entire life and it was something that I really as a professional felt like I needed to manage in you know the healthiest possible ways and to be really transparent and open with my clients that I was also on a journey, that I was also somebody who was needing to keep myself well. And that was that required tools and balance and sometimes risks. And that was where I found myself when I uh, started working with psychedelics in my recovery. And I didn't introduce psychedelics into my work until
0: 2019. Noting the timing there, we're going to come into 2019, 2020. We set aside a good amount of time for this, this conversation. There's so much more. Change. (laughs) Yes, things definitely do change. So just before we press record, I showed Kathleen my notebook and with what the notes that I had as far as the things I wanted to talk about. And it was basically her name on the top of a blank page. And now if I was to pull it up, I've written down about 10 things that I want to go further. And I don't know that we're going to have time for them all, but because I know we're, I know where we're ultimately headed as we look at more, more recent times. But I do want to ask, and this might take us there or not, let's talk a little bit about the culture of coaching because I think it touches on common ground within our past experiences. And just for everyone who's listening, who's been along the journey with me, the reason why I said at the beginning that I'm calling myself a recovering or recovered coach is that... I am now out of coaching and I'm using the word out and the phrase I got out very deliberately when I'm talking about coaching in my life. I came to the conclusion over the course of the last 12 months or so, or as a lot of people know who are now in my life, it really had started when I sat down and recorded the live Q&A episode of that Wondery's Guru podcast and right there in in really a rough environment for it given that millions of people have heard it with two journalists and with with Jenny Brown and and Matt Stroud who is a journalist but who was the the narrator and the investigative reporter behind Guru I've always said ever since day 1 on this podcast that there was always a lot more to say about the events of 2009 where just as a very brief recap I was at a retreat I had been on this journey with with James Ray for uh, going on 18 months to two years. It was like this pinnacle retreat. And unlike so many of them, which were like these Tony Robbins-esque leader on the stage, throngs of people in in the seats, this was a much smaller environment. And it was very much in a week of individual work. And the whole idea was we were coming together that last day for this culturally appropriated Sweat lodge. Of course, I wouldn't have described it at that at the time because I was completely, you know, not aware in the about these things. I'm not proud of that. I'm doing what I can and want to also bring some people on to talk about that specific issue before too long in terms of episode count. But, anyways, three people died in the sweat lodge. And uh, and it was all about whether we were breaking the boards whether we were doing firewalks, where we were bending rebar with our clavicles or going into a sweat lodge, it was really an extreme pursuit. And I knew it was extreme at the time. And something that I've had to learn about myself is that I'm not risk averse. And so, I, especially when you in a perceived to be trusted environment. And so all those sort of barriers to risk and decisioning are very low and very porous at that time and so you said within the culture of coaching you were taught and I almost your tone and may I, I may have picked up a visual I'm not sure if there it was a cue or not but can we go into that do you feel like you were taught accurately that the altered states were quote-unquote safe and effective because I like my lived experience shows that they can be absolutely fucking dangerous. They can kill people. We can jump to present time for your current perspective too. So, I know I'm I'm handing you a bit of a fireball and I'll help you along if need be, but I'm, I I want to hear your thoughts. Safety was never discussed. Like it wasn't I
1: would never have considered that the tools that I were that I was using were unsafe. It was implied that whatever the work that needed to be done would be done in this way because people had the desire. The one requirement for any of that work was the desire. We we were taught that. And anything the I can't... It's so funny. I can't remember. The worst... This is a, a phrase I've I said probably a thousand times. The worst thing that can happen is nothing. Mm. So... I believed that people in these states were capable of
0: still having critical thinking and conscious choice. And how about now? You used the past tense there. What's your current perspective?
1: I have
0: learned a
1: great deal about consent and permission. I am a full-time coach. It's what I do. I feel I have an ethical practice. Um, I have had to build that on my own outside of the industry and had to learn some hard lessons. I do know of two situations where I was working with clients. I don't know if they would have defined it as harm, but they defined it basically as like debauchery, that it wasn't legitimate. And I have worked with thousands of clients. The things that I was teaching and what I felt I was helping clients to achieve with the intent behind it was theirs, not mine. My intent was to create the environment for them to be successful because that was my success. How that worked, it was a bit of a,
0: I wouldn't say like a self-stealing system. A self sealing system is a sign of a cult dynamic, which is deeply uncomfortable, but it's also why we're here. Going back and critically evaluating this is important. And doing it publicly via a podcast is, I think it's in its own way, courageous to do it because we're letting in people that we don't know to hear the conversation. And you're in company here, good, bad, or indifferent. Because when I was on hardcore self-help journey, primarily with James Ray as my, you know, mentor, teacher, stage presence, whatever leader. That's when I was introduced to coaching and it was introduced as a means to make sure that the work that happened in workshop would carry over into real life. And I'll give them that because that's a huge problem in the industry. And that's why we have people who are workshop addicted. We go for the hit of the community, the environment, the quote unquote self-sealed system where isn't it just so amazing to be with people who finally think like you do and feel like I do and have this wonderful endorphin filled experience of finding community. In many cases, I think the leading figure almost becomes secondary to all of that, but it is a self-sealed system. and, And when one thing that was problematic for me all along, and I think it was because of my experience in my consulting business, where I came out of the business world. When I went into that environment, I was consulting in the automotive industry. I had worked for a company that um, was a major vendor as a salesperson and prior to that, a trainer. And like I came out of teaching that way. So There was a lot of change back then, and it was a big deal to leave teaching. And then I'm a make a difference person no matter where I go. So I went where I thought I could make a difference. And then when I saw the tools that coaching brought into my consulting work through the recession, it validated for me that this was all for Everyone's Betterment was in the context of business. So the fact that I was making money or they were paying me money, it wasn't as I would find out later when I wrapped up with that consulting and went into strictly coaching leaders and mostly solopreneurs, that it became about something else. And it became about the marketing. It started to become about, had to be personality driven and ultimately charisma driven in order to be successful, which is why I had to take a step back because I, I lived the, the dark side of that. So when you started to see some of this underbelly, I'm sure you didn't, like anyone wouldn't be thinking of those terms because you're there to help. And a lot of coaching is about helping based on personal experience and personal successes, which is valid. But I think it also points back to everyone's The the well-being of the client is very much in the hands and ethics and values of the leader. So what was that like for you to turn inwards? What's caused you to shift from where we all are when we're newer coaches having success? Can you take us through that part of your journey? Sure, yeah.
1: There were a few things that caused me to reflect on the beginnings of my coaching, which this is 15 years ago. So I started my practice in 20 oh seven. And a couple things happened in twelve tw- nine ten. I went through a divorce, which was a big hit. I needed to really focus on myself and my kids. But there was also a feeling like that I would describe it now, that it was I could probably the uncomfortable feeling of what I realized. Raising children and negotiating <laughs> these ultimatums in in life. I remember joking that a parenting is gentle coercion. And I thought, okay, but that's what I do. I just get people to do things that they may or may not want to do, but they've shown up with the desire. So of course they want it. But it didn't feel like it was something that, like there was a, an uncomfortableness about it. I also grew in the ranks of the community where I had been trained in NLP. So I was also, I had also become a trainer, unpaid, in, in good, good form, and really just doing what I was told to do. It didn't, it wasn't coming from a creative place. I was kind of a poster child because I had great success and like the whole idea of it all felt dirty and it may have been because I wasn't being paid or acknowledged in a way that I felt like professionally I should have been but also the whole idea of what are we doing here what is this the question that I couldn't answer because I don't know the system of NLP is never really truly described it's you just in in my training I was taught how to do it I wasn't told what was actually happening when people are losing personal agency people are losing um track of their own ability to be discerning and make good decisions but what i realized is that I, there was a better way and the government the local government had decided that therapy was only for a particular group of people and they started to have therapy registration the social workers and psychotherapists had to begin to be registered so i no longer fit into that category and or could be a registered practitioner so that is i truly flipped my my title and became a coach. Mm. But I really wanted, I understood that there was a problem that the government was trying to solve, which was unregulated practices. And I was in an unregulated practice, but what I knew I needed to do was to potentially be more science-based or evidence-based So I went back to school and I learned solution-focused coaching. And that felt really good because there was a lot of evidence that said that being able to work with clients where that's self-directed, they're able to really have more ability to be their own advocate and to make their own decisions in their therapy coaching. So I felt that solution-focused was a really good direction. And from that, I went into positive psychology. And perhaps I should have just stayed with solution focus because it was really client-driven. But when I went into positive psychology, it gave me this new layer of what I now know as spiritual bypassing and And or personal understanding that the power of their mind could be used to think positive and create this very positive, powerful outcome in a scientific way. Like it was, again, the way that, positive psychology was delivered that didn't address the parts of, of positive psychology which is that people are very complex beings we're very dynamic we actually live in a world of many different positive and neg- negative experiences and being able to work with ourselves in those places not just will it away or think it away or be positive and powerful and make those kinds of changes because somehow we were working with the thought patterns of the brain to be a different
0: person. So that that, right there, does that not like now, (laughs) when you say that now, like for me, that is just like, where's the giant red flag? Mm -hmm. Does that, do do you respond to that in that way? Or is that just me? Like this idea to rewire the brain to be the, like a different person makes me want to find a sound effect and like of breaks like squealing Mm -hmm.
1: yeah at the time it felt really beautiful of course now it it feels like painfully like honest and also just so the demand of that
0: is ruthless it doesn't honor how people can be many things I see it and I agree with you. And also at the same time, my mental dialogue was the demand of that is ridiculously naive. That's what I that's what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. So let's marry ruthless and ridiculously naive. (laughs) If you wanted a recipe for disaster or harm, you take a ruthless practice performed by even if it's not a ruthless person, the practice is is ruthless. I think there are a lot of really good people who are, who are engaging in these practices because that's how they've been taught how to get results. And I really, I appreciate the phrase gentle coercion because I can think about many times like you look at it in other different roles in my life, whether older sister, oldest and only sister, teacher, consultant, coach, salesperson which will come around to at some point during this, this conversation, gentle coer- coercion. We want to guide people towards a result, whether it's in the context of business, to, to make a decision to invest time, energy, money in a solution or product or widget. And then we have the intangibles around coaching and the service-based things where you know i can i can only think of the hundreds and hundreds of times that in a coaching session i i would coach somebody or even myself that like there were certain activities of the business that i didn't enjoy and maybe wasn't even all that good at but having to either force myself to do it because i had developed belief systems about how how either how meaningful and world changing these actions would be if only i would do it or how, what kind of a superpower person I would be if only I would do it, or getting people to show up to their business every day as a coach of solopreneurs and take the actions of actual business, looking at it through that lens. When you're taking people to the edge of that comfort zone and coaching them to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, it's valid in the sense of doing things for the first time when you're unpracticed is always uncomfortable but this is can be a very fruitful and also very dangerous place to reside
1: yes and and hearing you describe that it also reminds me I was I had always said within my practice I would never put anybody through anything I wasn't willing to do myself and so I was out in the community with those workshops and with those people that were teaching me to be a better practitioner by pushing me into places of discomfort and it was early on but i did all the the fire walk the all the things like i did those things i fantasized about going to the big conferences and having the opportunity to learn from all the masters and the people that i had strived to be or aspired to be i was not only Having these conversations with my clients, but I was also a client of these practitioners. and to say that I had my second awakening or what was a breakdown or breakthrough, I don't quite know when I recovered my addiction, like i I realized looking back on a lot of my career, I was managing my myself and my anxiety and the discomfort of this incongruence. and that is an interesting thing because in NLP, congruence is a big thing, but I didn't. Feel congruent. I felt discombobulated. You mentioned that word in the beginning. And I coped with alcohol. And so the anxiety of the uncertainty, there could have been many things, but the work that I was doing was definitely something that I felt like I always had to be on top of. And I always had to be a better version of myself to be that for my clients, to be that for the world, to be that for my children. And it, looking back, it makes me so sad to think there was a time when I did a fire walk and I had probably, I don't even know how bad it was. I burned myself so badly and the safety of the situation was questionable and I was blamed for it because of the way I, walked. I did I didn't do the right thing. And I was so embarrassed that I didn't have control of myself and my mind because I was a professional, and I was in excruciating pain. And I imagined that my life would be better if I, like, I. This is how far I went in my own thoughts: was to throw myself in the Niagara River, then admit that I could not do this thing and i was in so much pain and that pain took me to an edge of understanding that like i had to make a decision and within myself i i believed i would never put myself in that situation again and somewhere there was this little voice that said this isn't you but i was so determined because i had been told by so many people that I did it wrong and I made a mistake and it was my fault, that I was bad.
0: Oh my God, I'm so uncomfortable right now. If you could see me, Kathleen can see me. (laughs) I am just like wriggling around in my, I would want to start screaming. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to, uh, so offline, I'm going to be asking you who, because I want to know for myself, whether you tell me or not is entirely up to you. But I'm just like screaming inside my head, and of course that's how it went, because a there are people now, now. I did the James, I did the the fire walk at a workshop in Tahoe with James Arthur Ray, and I'm gonna. It was one of the best experiences that I've ever had, and so I'm sorry for you in that regard. And of course, you can burn yourself walking on 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 hot coals. And I don't know enough about the um, preparation of the coals, but from what I recall, and maybe anyone who's listening who who knows, and Kathleen, maybe you even know, but my understanding is that there is a very particular way to prepare those coals. So it's not like you're really walking on fire that can burn you. For one. Secondly, let's like think about this from the point of view of 2022, and the. Person or people in charge. And maybe it's better to not identify them because let's just make a core alleged assumption that every single person that puts on a firewalk is blatantly, oh my God, I can't even get the word, it'll come involved. They're taking people through firewalking. And we're being told that somehow because of our higher vibration or the state of our fields or our ability to manifest and break the laws of physics and biology that somehow you're supposed to have a field around your body that this heat, this fire, like an actual element, can't hurt your skin. So now, yeah. So let's just marinate in that bullshit just for a moment. (laughs) And to have any aspect of your self-worth or validity as a human being be put into question because somehow it was your fault that physics and biology are actually a thing. Yeah. Um, and that's so, so horrendous.
1: Yeah. This may explain the, the people that ran that they're nobody people. They're really, you wouldn't, I don't even think they would show
0: up on Google at this point, which, you know, indicates how successful they were and what they were doing. But also how pervasive basis this is because it's mm-hmm. not just like the Tony Robbins and the James Rays and the probably every single teacher that's in the secret and whoever's like throwing up whatever white people are throwing up sweat lodges on the weekend to take people through to whatever. Like it's everywhere. So if it can be like, yeah. quote unquote, nobody people, meaning not famous, not not really identifiable down in the Niagara region, it can be happening everywhere. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah and i am assuming that it is because they had a, some sort of transformative experience i see this a lot and this has really shifted in my own work with psychedelics actually because it's also those altered states and those high intensity moments where people have a mystical experience where they become ego driven in their own desire to recreate that experience for others so it's, again, this system that creates people within the system like I had been and I'm not far that far away from to not take responsibility or accountability or eat to be fully prepared in these circumstances. Like the bigwigs, I'm sure they have teams of people that are doing these things, but the ones that are just doing it like hanging a shingle are really dangerous. And there are many places that I have been in the past couple years where that is the danger. That is the culturally misappropriating, the most dangerous voice of healers is the white woman who believes that she has been given some type of prestigious honor to lead a community and to be uh, that head of the room. And because there's this idea that the divine feminine rising and we must do these <laughs> sorry Shh. that was
0: my we must it was supposed to be yeah. my inside voice
1: yeah but it's a very particular group of people and it's a very particular way of being and i've been there or on the edge of it and when you talk about the, the places you've been with the experiences that you've had those were my greatest wishes and so I ended up doing the things that I could do or afford to do, which were really probably just not safe. And to
0: whatever extent. So I want to counter that a little bit, and I've made a note. Sure. Here. And you described. You said that probably the big wigs with their their teams of people are probably safer. I, I want to. I just let's go back to put a pin in something that that you said earlier. The big wigs with their, I'm alleging. With their teams of unpaid labor, with their teams of volunteers who just for proximity to said leaders, they might have a like a squad of, I think over on a little bit culty, they'd call it flying monkeys. There will often be paid people in the organization, but it's, it would be very interesting to go into those events now and ask the people who are there, because I've been one of those people, whether or not they're being paid in like the leaders' books. And at the time it was DVDs and recorded meditations. That's not cash money. So that's actually slave labor. That is the worst of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And of course, again, these are things that you learn when you start to, when talking about waking up, when you start to wake up to this stuff, to coin a phrase that is just turned, it could mean anything these days, but it's, I think it always comes back to no matter what, because it's not regulated, your safety and your psyche is at the whim of where that person who's guiding is at any particular moment in time. And and you uh, mentioned it, and it's like this, what is it about us that as, as soon as, I'll go back to first person, but As soon as I started having these experiences, I wanted to share them with other people, right? And then I want to guide people and I want to help people and I want to change the world. And it's all these thoughts that for a lot of people, they're they're generous, authentic, empathetic desires. For at the other end of the, the spectrum, it's going in to make as much money as you possibly can while the moment is hot. And while the tap is turned on. And there's all points in between. And I think one of the things that I want to start really driving home as a message online, offline, is that just because it's perfectly okay to have a transformative mystical experience and then just use it in your own life. Yeah. There's no obligation to turn around and, and I understand you're you've been working as a coach for a long time, and I'm not a dissing coaches. What I'm trying to do by having these conversations is shine a light on this whole idea of a certain number of quote-unquote light workers changing the world and doing all this stuff. You don't have to get involved in that. Like, you can change the world any moment in time. You don't have to join the cult. Yeah, and
1: I would love to be able to answer the question, why do we feel that we must, you know, pass on the experience of the richness or the transformative experience that we've somehow created. I do think that it is part of it as human nature. I would love to tell you about the best restaurant I've ever been to, and I would love you to have that experience. And then other parts, I do think it, it does come from, I feel that it comes from a place of trying to resolve within ourselves, our own need for enoughness and to create that outside of ourselves is something that we've been taught forever. So for us to have an experience that is enough, we've only been told that it's enough if you make a difference for somebody else, which reinforces the system. People feel so empowered when they feel powerful. And that power comes from seeing somebody else have a similar experience because it's relatable. I think it's uh narcissistic
0: cannibalism. Oh, let's come back to that after I acknowledge that as I'm calling these practices into question, it's very much what we're doing here on the podcast. It's the other side of that double-edged sword where sharing the, the, the story and sharing the harm and sharing the introspection and really like this process, especially in the last couple of years of having to really take a cold, hard look at where I was applying my skills and how and the frameworks that it and the social frameworks that it falls under is a very one talking about uncomfortable and discombobulating. And yet this podcast and this conversation exists because what are we doing? We're sharing what we've learned from our journey so that other people may benefit from it. So I'm not advocating for stopping that. I'm advocating for to break this belief that people have been Indoctrinated and in some cases NLP'd into from the stage that in order to demonstrate your goodness and demonstrate that you have evolved beyond the average person because you're not most people, that you now get into this giant funnel of income that feeds right back up to the leader, also known as becoming a coach within their organization. Becoming a speaker within their organization—it's follow the money. And I'm in a market here, and well, we're in the same market, but it's very dominated by one or two of the quote-unquote big wigs, and their brand labeled coaches. And sometimes you got to be like, what? What's your life? What have you done? Your business coach? Have you ever had a business? And who I feel like being able to call myself
1: a coach and continue to coach is. A huge responsibility, and that I do in sense understanding that responsibility is not just mine. For many years, I flew solo. I had, I felt like my responsibility was to continue to be educated and to continue to learn and be on top of the practice and be out there in the world and just bettering myself and better, better becoming such an incredible coach that I, because I was becoming such an. incredibly enlightened person but it totally fucking backfired because what I understand now is like that, especially in the positive psychology world the new age spirituality the whole idea of high vibration and manifesting it's all shit and I feel sad <laughs> to to not know and I want to believe that those things are true. I do. I really want to believe the best of people. I want to believe that there is a greater cause and purpose. I want to think that we're all doing this to evolve and to awaken and enlighten and become a new world. And I I know where that word came from prior to that. I didn't prior to 2020. I didn't know where that came from, but I, I have to be humbled that, I'm not that special and I want to be able to accept that within myself and to take it back to the ground floor and build myself back up in understanding that I might not know I don't have all the answers I am not special but I get to figure all that out I can figure that out and I can define it and I can not necessarily make the rules but I can decide who I want to be and how I want to show up and mostly it's in reflection of the people that I surround myself with that are willing to be honest because in the past I surrounded myself with people that were willing to perpetuate the lies and I to have conversations with people like what you said earlier that's not always true that's not always the case remember the flying monkeys and I'm like oh yeah my old brain believed That they were set up, the big guys were set up with better practices, but they were set up with better insurance. And they set up by all the things that we're talking about here today. So being in the world now in this, in these conversations, it's, it's a very small, I have a very small practice. I have a very small group of people that I trust and that trust me because I'm really picking through all of the past and figuring out what actually genuinely is mine and what serves me. And if it isn't mine, but it does serve me in what way? And
0: if it isn't mine and it doesn't serve me, I can let it go. And also, and I know because we've had many conversations, we've had, oh my gosh, you think the hours on the community calls where I've many times during the year, the community has been so small and people haven't made it. And it's been me and you sitting here having conversations like this, which is, like, let's, we need to get out with this. I, I love these conversations so much. And it's also, there's another level and, oh, I'm cringing because I want to use, and I've been groomed to use the word consciousness, but let's just call it consciousness, awareness, thought, That it's also not just about you, it's about how it impacts others and society. And so some of the choices that I know that I've made and I know that you've made, because we've got to know each other quite well, I know that you're not just weighing on what is good and right and proper for you. You're weighing on what is good and proper for others, my community, my society. And dare I say, we're not that long off of the Ottawa Truckers Convention. It's very hard not to, we have to get political. Like we have to be thinking, somebody who grew up with a family that just fought tooth and nail over politics, always loved each other and hugged each other on the way out the door. But I was always very, I would get sick to my stomach being that, that child in the environment where the, my parents and my aunts and uncles would be arguing politics. So I shied away from it. And then it's actually arguing politics within your family is actually one a very healthy thing to do if you've got different politics. So let's go there. It's time to talk about vaccination. It's got to come out. If we miss it. If we don't do it, we're going to regret it afterwards. You are excavating. I've mm-hmm. been excavating when we when we met initially, I don't even recall where I was at at this time. so I want to preface this part of our conversation by saying that there is a universe out there where I could have been an anti-vaxxer. For people who have listened to any of the, uh, you know, earlier episodes or I did choose antidepressants in my 30s, I'm going to proudly claim to be turning 55 later this month. So 25 years ago, I did turn to Paxil and and did it did help me to barely survive in a very unhealthy corporate environment at the time and then something happened in my life and i had a, a rather rude awakening to to how buffered i was from emotion when my youngest cousin was died in a car accident and, and i it was like i didn't feel a thing so that was a signal to me that a i needed to leave that uh, job at that period in my life. And B, I needed to try another way without the pharmaceuticals. And for most of those intervening years, if you could even get an antibiotic in me, it was something like I had to be really sick. And I have a science degree. And I studied things like neuro whatever, but I do remember that the longest textbook name that I had was psychoneuropharmacology. So I do have background in some of your world, but let's talk about this. So it was never a doubt in my mind that when the vaccines came, especially since I was becoming aware of the societal uh, differences, and even in um, this week, this past episode of Conspirituality over in the middle of, it's a long one, but in the middle is a brilliant interview. And maybe while you're speaking, I will go and get her name, but a brilliant conversation with a scientist. And so for me, I I got it. I understood at the time I was doing some videos online and I was talking about my reasons were because that I got it and had absolutely no doubt was that I was fortunate enough to be able to stay here or hold up in my 10 by 10 room, continuing my work, and not having to go like many people did who are essential services, who even though I was at the time a wiped out business, they were in worse financial position than me. And had to go out and take care of people and feed them and get their food out and uh, keep the gas stations open. And uh, and when you see the numbers on how um, COVID showed up in minority communities where there are a lot of reasons to be suspicious because of past injustices, as a white, privileged person, I flew out the door in the first opportunity to get the job, And I'm not sharing that because I'm holier than anyone. I'm sharing that to set the stage because I appreciate what you're going to share so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you for bringing this in because I do think it's a conversation that I haven't really been able to have with many people because... Uh, There are so many conflicted ideas about it and our opinions about it, but I have been uh, and was prior to 2020 anti-vax. I have two children and neither one of them were vax. So for 25 years, I exercised my uh, parental right to choose and felt that the information that I had was accurate. I hadn't, I didn't really dig that deep. I dug in a direction that served me and served my beliefs, and I felt strongly that was true based on the information that I had access to. And I also want to say I don't have a science background, and I don't have a very discerning way of understanding the difference between pseudoscience and misinformation and facts and data and pu- like science, unless I really, I talked earlier about the, the work with uh, solution-focused coaching and positive psychology and that they are science-based, evidence-based practices, and that served me. So that worked for me. But being able to look in the direction of the possibility that vaccine was safe, it made me very uncomfortable. I didn't have any trust in that science at all. And it really came down to the belief that whatever, that my children were going to be harmed and that I would do whatever it takes to keep them safe. And I know that now. I justified it in many different ways for those years. And it really didn't, the penny didn't drop. When 2020, when we all enter 2020, my community, the people that I was closest to are, we're COVID deniers, and I didn't know what to believe. I didn't really understand the impact. I don't think anybody did. But in the beginning, you think days, weeks, months, I truly never anticipated years. But at the time, I remember thinking, this is, this is work that we need to do. This is between me and God. I have to be able to have a relationship that I can trust. And it was God, like the most, you know, euphoric God, the God that does everything for good people all the time. And in based in new age and my feeling of being special and important and my feeling of being a good person and that what I did made a difference and that it mattered to the point that I could believe in something. And because it was uncomfortable to believe that COVID might be real, I could choose an alternate reality. And that was in the very beginning of COVID. And that felt like a much more comfortable option than thinking this is a pandemic and this is affecting every single person on the planet. And my husband is very science based, he's an engineer, he's very pragmatic. We had conversations in the past about. Vaccine, but this is our second marriage. We entered this marriage. We're both in our 40s and we had children. We both had two children each, which were beyond the vaccine conversation. So, if and but he, I promise you, that conversation prior to pandemic was the closest to our relationship ending than any other conversation. And so we just, because of our love for each other, I shelved it. We're like, this is never something we will really ever have to discuss. So this isn't something that we really need to agree on. Mm. And when things were coming into the pandemic, realizing there's gotta be a, a way out of it and the potential for a vaccine is becoming much more clear. The people we were surrounding ourselves with were doing a lot of other sort of not guideline, not um, regulated gatherings. We had all of our children at home. So we were six adults in one home. We really couldn't afford to have anybody have any contact because if we had contact with people, then everybody would, and then it just became this bigger and bigger problem. So we really nailed down in the early parts of the lockdown the rules for everyone. And our friends were really becoming somewhat like, I would say maybe skeptical or elusive that we were, we had these rules and they didn't, and this isn't real, so why bother? And I really began to see that I had become a part of a really insulated community that felt that we could do things however we chose to because we wanted to live in a world that um, we created, which is so sad for me to admit at this point because that is such a privilege. And that is so, that is thinking beyond, beyond my own life that nothing really matters. It's such a, it's to me, I am so grateful that somebody within my community who is a Black woman, told me that my beliefs and my experiences were not safe for her. And I did not have a clue what she meant. I literally was <coughs> speechless. So thankfully, I said nothing.
0: And can you elaborate on that? Did you get into it with her in terms of no. how it wasn't safe for her? Or did so you understand had- what she meant? at the time she had brought
1: it up to me before and my belief was that there was so I didn't understand white privilege I didn't understand white supremacy and I didn't understand anti-racist I knew or felt I was not racist that was the only lens I had was not racist Because I loved and accepted people of many races. My husband is a Korean man. Like he doesn't, we don't come from the same culture. So I didn't get that potentially that's what she was inferring. And because it was so obvious that there was something else that I wasn't getting, that I knew in the pit of my stomach the feeling that I had and how courageous it was for her to bring that to me and how much I respected her and how she said it with such empathy and compassion Mm -hmm. and that she truly knew I didn't know and she truly knew that it wasn't for her to inform me or to help me understand. She gave me a gift and that gift was figure it out. And she really is a very dear friend. She means a lot to me. And because I understood how serious she was, because I could see her pain and I could see that
0: pain was caused by my ignorance. Isn't it? I'm so grateful that even though you were moving in the cert, like you used, you used, you put together two words and I didn't put say them write them down, but you described the narcissism. Do you recall what it was? Because I think it yeah. lies here. Yeah. Narcissistic cannibalism. Okay. May or may not fit, but. Okay. I do know because I think we're in another area of narcissism. So somehow she got through to you mm-hmm. in this insular We can think the world however we want it to be and not engage with the rest of all those people. And what I'm hearing from you is that it was her empathy and it was her... I'm not going to call it non-judgment because I think she is making a statement there that's saying, I'm discerning, I'm judging, I'm thinking that what you're doing right now is just not for me. (laughs) But it shows how... And if I've I've learned anything in these last two years and I struggle with it so much, but it shows an approach that works because it's so hard to be empathetic when you're about to knock heads. So after you got the message, what happened? What what shifted? Oh, so there was
1: like it was just so many messages. <laughs> so that <what laughs> statement and the 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 thing about safety, like that really rung the bell because what I had wanted for myself and my children and my friends, like I wanted safety and I thought we could create it in a certain way, but creating it in this way was based in a very particular circumstance that wasn't available to everyone. Mm. So I understood that. I started to begin to understand how this unsafe environment was causing more harm and that I, I have to be honest, there's one beautiful thing about having children at home and that they, my children are all adults now. And my oldest daughter had just graduated uh, from university and in international development. And she had never called me out, but I think that she saw that there was problematic behavior and that she was also willing to talk to me, like to help me understand like I was devastated and so confused but I I knew she was right and so that conversation that I had with my husband with my children and another very good friend a friend separate from that conversation, her and I were able to just pick this apart and begin to start to, okay, so if this is, a, if we're in a pandemic and there are people that are being affected in, at different ratios and in different communities and environments that are not getting to make choices and are the frontline workers and are the people that are on the buses and in the subways and working on shifts and in different places that are keeping this country or this you know world running and those people don't look like me then i have to figure out how to help those people and i have to figure out how to make it so that we're all doing something to make things better for the people that can't decide or choose or that are most affected and so like the math started to make sense the community that i belong to they have done yoga retreats in different parts of the world and visited ashrams and That had sitting with different um, spiritual teachers and doing things mostly in countries that were highly affected and saying that's not happening. It's not happening there. It's the mainstream media, it's the people that are sensationalizing, and it isn't, we're being led to believe something different. And I'm thinking that can't be true. I don't think that what was happening in India could have been any worse. And maybe it could have been worse, but it couldn't have been made up. And if it was made up, why? So that they could believe that it wasn't true and that made them feel good. So it really put a distance between our friends and the conversations uh, that we were able to have. And there soon became the time when I realized my life and the trauma that I had been through in my life, where for most of my life, I was not safe as a child. The the desire to protect my children and to be the mother that would do anything for them, including keeping them from being harmed by a stranger, was the trauma that drove my anti-vax position. I also lived in a world where most of my reality was different than what was perceived. So a lot of the stories that I lived in real life, what was told to me about my life Mm. was different than what I lived. So I was basically misinformed my whole life. So I sought out those people. I sought out the energy around that experience of being lied to so that I could feel comfortable. Because it's all
0: I knew. So I wrote, I I took note here and just to offer an observation and I hope I'm not setting us, I don't want to set us back because I want to talk about what you're decisioning and I'm starting to recall that, that it's not too long before you and I are going to meet in this story. So that's kind of neat to think back on. But what I'm really, what is capturing my attention right now is that you were starting to think critically again. And you've just described the very emotional drivers and unconscious drivers. And it must have been quite something to look at that because, probably, if I had to guess based on my own personal development and mental health journey, that these are likely the very same things that you were trying to heal doing this, that, and the other thing in the past. And it's not, I'm not psychic. I've lived yeah. in this world, <laughs> right? Like, Right. So it's oh, really? Here we are again after X, Y, like after hypnosis, after NLP, after bring it over to my side of the equation, after workshops, after this, that, the other thing. Really, I'm here again. And it's oh yes, you are here again. But what I'm hearing and sensing is that on the other side of the equation, there is this mind meld of the word that this comes to mind, is this indoctrination process that started a very long time ago by your childhood, but also let's go right back into the self-help and personal transformation world, where this core belief or fundamental belief of think it and it will be, and just how privileged and obnoxious and exclusive position that is and i'm not calling you obviously privileged obnoxious to me in my mind it's but it's, it's that's the culture i've been in that culture it just happened to not coincide with a pandemic it coincided with a recession and the recession of course affected people differently depending on industry and much milder than the pandemic it, terms of longer onset slower well we don't know about slower recovery yet we're not there to be able to compare but in a recession when everything around is hard it does serve to a certain degree to try to ignore that and create some form of recovery strategy it's an economic and driven challenge and sometimes these economically driven solutions do require that that sort of self-convincing that it's worth getting up and doing the basic necessities of your business today whether you're getting paid or not but it's quite different when we're talking about a pandemic and socioeconomic factors very different doesn't play as well does it
1: no it was wildly uncomfortable and I think that I just realized just as you were talking about the recession, this is going to fast forward mm-hmm. just to six months ago because that it's just an interesting connection that I made. My husband and I have decided to renovate and I thought, oh, exciting, renovating. It's going to be great. Everything's going to be new and it'll be great. It was the hardest three months that I've lived through with him. And the discomfort and things being unsettled and things being awkward and dirty and not routine. We're not as humans. I feel my best is um, predictable. (laughs) And so when the entire world didn't have a clue what the next numbers of days or weeks was going to bring, everything just kept changing. And so quickly, we were just on these like rocky foundations all the time. And I think those that feeling of riding on a surfboard, trying to just stay balanced, was what through the balance throwing being thrown off balance and being so uncomfortable. Like it it felt to me like I was just being hit by waves of truth and waves of truth and that I had been trying to suppress or deny or bypass or wish away or will away or become some self-help person in leadership. To be able to say I know what I'm doing or I feel like at least I know enough to tell people how to do better. This comes back to the the place where I bring psychedelics into my practice because part of what I was taught was to commodify healing, to make people believe that they needed somebody to do this on your own was dangerous and there are parts of it that are true and there's parts of it that I think when people do feel that they are educated and that they have the information that helps them feel safe and comfortable and that they can work with in a harm reductionist way that like this is a personal journey. And I can support the journey if it's with psychedelics or with integration coaching or just with coaching. I'm going to be fully transparent. The majority of my clients are also working with psychedelics in their own way and have found me to help facilitate their integration. But I, before there was no choice to question our choices, there was this very top-down approach To coaching and top-down approach to healing, and somebody at the front of the room always teaching and always the one that that knew more and knew better. And I think that's really very limiting to the growth of myself as a coach or my client. So I didn't know that. I feel grateful for understanding that I can step back and I can help in ways that I'm invited in to be a part of people's journeys and to work with what they feel comfortable working with, not what I imagine is good for them. And it helps people develop their own personal advocacy, their own personal agency, their ability to belong to themselves. And I couldn't have done that had I not figured that out for myself. and done it in the way that I did it, which was because I had to question how i ended up in the community that i ended up in and that there was one one person in that community that was willing to step up and say this is not safe and she was willing to say i i don't know the story with other people but i believe she said it to me because she cared enough about our to, to risk it she risked it trust and her and i have remained friends And the inevitable happened in that community that my husband and I were completely, I don't even know, I want to say
0: excommunicated when we received the vaccine. You were shunned. Yeah. Yeah. Let's come back to that in a moment. I'm going to check your time because we did set aside a couple hours. Are you, are you good until we bring this to a like a whole and complete close? Yeah. I don't know where that's going to be. I'm curious. How are all you listeners? listeners? I'll know. Well, How I'll we be able listen? to tell it through my <laughs> provider what percent um, the drop-off rate is. But I hope mm-hmm. that everyone is still engaged because I know I certainly am. And uh, so where do I want to go with some of that? Thinking on my feet here. Let's talk about your friend who I now desperately want to meet and the courage that it took for her to i'm assuming or let me ask i don't want to assume within this community are you talking about the community a community where you were peers and it was another leader's community or was it your community that you were leading and they were among the member or clientele just for clarity oh in good cult um, um or both okay um, well history it was both. all right and <laughs> yeah. and Actually, we talked about some of this uh, before pressing record. So it's neat that it is coming in organically. So I was in a situation where I was following a leader. I I used to choke on the word following and follower and, uh, and cult and all of that. But as we've explored a little bit that the cult dynamics are are present in these communities and whether it's the self-sealing or the all round gaslighting so there you have somebody in a community of friends and um, associates who was able to speak to you Mm one-to-one and I'm seeing it as so important to equivalent communities like the ones in either that are just forming. I don't know. I think a lot of people listening here will probably have had their own horrendous experience in self-help or healing. And I think some are hanging on for the interviews and the topics. And I would actually love to know if anyone wants to drop me a note via the website. I care why you're listening because that helps me to guide the podcast. But I now see. So I'm going to tell you a little story. This is so fresh. So I think it was last week or the week before and and I'll own up, I started a new job. Two months ago, and I've, like I said in the opening, I've been on this very accelerated ramp up, and I've been very tired and and thin at some points, just because it's a lot. It's a huge life change in so many ways, and uh, and so I was online, and um, just so to put you at ease, Kathleen, it's actually a totally different example than we discussed privately. But I was online, um, and I got into my first ever argument online in the comment threads of a much, much larger account than mine or most people who I have in my feed on Instagram. And I got my backup because my perception was that fact was not being, that it was in the trucking aftermath in Ottawa. And I felt that Canada was being grossly misrepresented and the people who were discussing it were not Canadian and not informed. And so it pissed me off, and I got right in there. and I was not the only Canadian. It turned into a discussion, which I fully appreciate and but pushed back a little bit and had their own life experience of um oppression by a government. And so it again, it's another one of these. This is my perspective because this is my lived experience, just like my own trauma in the sweat lodge has shifted my perspective for ever on so many things and there's value in it all but sometimes we get caught up in our own stuff and miss the fact or maybe don't have all the facts so yeah so the thing that i appreciated about it is that it did evolve into and i was a little aggressive i have to say i was snarky i can be like that when i'm tired so i did apologize for the snark and just said it's been a long week and i'm so tired of seeing this particular scenario being used in a way that does not reflect 92% of the country. And it's certainly as much as I am not so much a fan of a lot of our political leaders, I do think that they have been in many ways totally and completely misrepresented and mischaracterized because of the levels of vitriol. So it was a lot to dump into her thread and probably should have just happened on mine if I hadn't gone dormant for the last two months. Anyhow... Coming back around, making a, a long story to make a short point. I think going forward that one of the ways that we can all actually make a difference is to continue to hold the people that we hold in high esteem accountable for, for what they say. I didn't care about this. I don't know them personally. And I noticed that they followed me and I'm like, okay, they might be keeping an eye to see what's this person about for better or worse. And I really, I'm so past the point at, at this point. But long story short, I think that the great, like your friend did with you, that we're providing a service and a gift to the people who we admire if we take the time to push back when they veer. If we respect people and we care about the work that they're doing and we feel that they're off course or they've misrepresented or don't have all the information. Years and years ago, I prepared a whole keynote about what it would take to be a better follower. Because I got so tired of the, the boring, same old, because I was calling myself a leadership coach at that time. I should dig it up. It probably is now the time. But we can be a better follower. We can be a better friend. We can yeah. be a better audience member. We can be a better citizen, particularly in the service of critical thought. And I, I, I don't know that we need to make up a reality anymore. I think that we can really just realize, just think about it for a moment how incredibly precious an experience it is just to be riding this on this rock around the sun. Why do we need to make it more than anything than what it is? I'm not denying a spiritual existence or a mystical existence, but we have to, as leaders, and you could probably go back to episode 24 years ago and episode two um, of this podcast, and you would hear the same thing. But as leaders and as followers, we got to do a better job because everybody has impact and influence. And in the circles that you and I have moved in, we are highly trusting people. I got to get out of coaching. Like for the love of my life and my psyche, it is keeping me in a place that is not healthy for me. And I'm not saying it has to be like that for anyone. You think about what I've lived through. And All the years, the 12 years of thinking that I was going to change it by just showing up and being an honest person and speaking facts, trying to be a coach and be a leader in that way and change it from within. Like talk about ego and hubris. Somehow I, with literally hardly any resources, was going to be able to change the self-help industry by operating like an actual business. So during all of this stuff that's been going on in the world. I got wiped out because everyone I was serving, they got wiped out. I wasn't exactly gonna say you owe me 12 months worth of fees like any of the bigwigs would. And, And so I had to reassess. And while I was working on my memoir, I was writing all about that experience where I left my corporate job because of a very unhealthy situation and went and got temporarily whole again before I got blown apart. And I realized that my automotive consulting business was the best business that I have had. And I took a lot for granted. I started to get a little wistful. And I made a phone call and said, I'm just putting out feelers because I'm done. So that's where I am right now. And I'm so... Happy and I'm so free. And you can all probably, Kathleen, when you and I were talking last week, you were like, God, you even sound different.
1: Yeah, I feel inspired by how you've come back to a place where you felt. It's interesting. You said you've left there to find yourself whole. And you, it feels, anyways, that leaving to find yourself whole, like there, when you come back to a place where you felt you were valued until something needed to change and you made that change and in that process I haven't known you that long but one of the things that I feel really inspired by and I've really gotten involved in my own connections with people like you through podcasts and through articles I'm no longer on social media in the way that I was before for you know multiple reasons but the people that I connected to it at the time that I needed it when we were when we went from being able to have cautious conversations to having no conversations. And then I believe that the person that really put me in front of you was Wolf Terry. And her compassion and love for her work and her people and her message and how you held that and that conversation and those were the conversations i knew would be healing and would carry me into a new type of conversation and i didn't aware to i had no i had no one so from hearing you and wolf and having the conspirituality folks in my head having conversations with them privately as i hike with my dogs and then finding somebody like Yanya Lalich and listening to, I believe I had been listening to Sarah Edmondson quite some time before. And knowing, like even knowing your story before I met you, and then realizing the connection to you and the the self help industry and your work and my work, it it feels that it has become a much for me a much more open and honest conversation and everybody that I'm meeting in this world is framing this work and these conversations and not sure where to find it so wherever you landed in the pandemic was the perfect and most beautiful place for me to find you gosh
0: thank you thank you and it's I, I actually just flipped open my website Free inner guru.com for the first time in a long time i'm really glad to see that it's up and running and because i wanted to go back and and so wolf terry was episode 89 and i'll just share and i have in previous episodes like where things really started to turn for me was all around um Yanya Lolich because of the really now you know mm-hmm. without going back into magical thinking, you know, serendipitously at the beginning of the pandemic, I could go back in my inbox to March the 8th of 2020, where Yanya and I were emailing. And that's where our conversation initially tailed off because we were in, um, we weren't in the same place. I just missed her October, 2019. I, I said yes to a show. It turned out to be I won't call it a mistake. It was just so sensational and so surface, but it was on William Shatner's The Unexplained on his trip channel. Like I even say that right now and I'm laughing. Like how did I think that would be what I wanted it to be? But Yanni was on there as the cult expert and she was spitting fire as she does. And it was like an affront to me listening to her because I was shocked that me and Ginny Brown and the James Ray thing were shoved right between Nexium and David Koresh. So there I was with my, the only thing that I really appreciated about that experience is that it was really great lighting. Like I should go and get a screenshot. <laughs> right? Like, And I got to sit on the actual Game of Thrones throne in this really crazy house where it was recorded in, in Beverly Hills. Like, honest to God, some of the experiences that I've had, they're they need to be in a book. But anyhow, I had invited Yanya to come on the show. And it was aired while we were away on vacation last week of February, first week of March 2020. So I was fielding emails with Yanya while this thing aired while we were away. And uh, and then it was left out of, okay, I'll get back to you when I get back from holidays. And then, of course, like we landed March the 8th. The world shut down on the 12th or 13th and then I got so sick. It's really interesting as you kind of come out of this haze of spiritual bypassing, gaslighting, altered magical thinking, fucked up state. There is still such a thing as the magic of life. Like for a long time, I really felt that I'm, and for anyone who's there where you're like, it's all, I liked my magic. I missed my magic. I miss thinking of the specialness. I I still actually do believe like there is a specialness, it's operating, but it's, that's just looking back and going, wow, what a series of events. Because when Yanya came on and she's episode 87, but if you go back and pick up episodes with like episode 80, the meaning of life with Nate Garrett Novosel, that was a huge one. My own journey is recorded. In all of these episodes, because I'm having conversations about what I'm thinking about with these people, and I was selecting content based on where I was at. And they're not all; some of them are less so than others. But Nathaniel, Kim Chesney, oh my gosh, so Pia Derico, she and I. So this is when the thought of going back to corporate was starting to plan in my mind. And in there, because in her book, she talks about the her own brush with the narcissistic self help, and we talk about corporate and how there are really good companies doing good work great people and to just this idea again that we don't all have to stay in this insular industry we can actually walk among society and operate there and that would include people getting into things like politics and where change is actually made at a societal level so i've gone on a huge tangent but I really do want to get it out there. Nobody's a failure if they... I had a long run, 19 years, as an independent business owner, and that business is going nowhere. Like, the corporation still is alive, the podcast is still alive, but you can make different choices. And I think sometimes we think because maybe we had something shitty happen to us that we won't be wanted, and that's not the case at all.
1: Yeah, no, I feel that since this opportunity, I never would have looked at it as an opportunity, but as an opportunity to really be in community with people that are making choices to not harm, to keep each other safe, to be in leadership, but like humble leadership. I don't even know how to describe it. And to be open to conversations, even when they're uncomfortable, the relationship with myself because I have rediscovered things like play and joy and the skill of writing and in being able to be creative and the value of friendship and the people that I feel closest to are the ones that I can show myself and be honest with and bring uncomfortableness and awkwardness into the room. And I have a diverse group of clients. We don't all have the same politics or agree, but it's also a place to have conversations where I feel I can offer a perspective. I have had a change in perspective and that is allowed. I never, people changing their minds should be okay within a relationship. And people that think differently Allows me to be to hold that in relationship too. I've learned that through honestly through the the conversations that mm-hmm. I have have witnessed th- through the podcast of all types and yours specifically, and it has given me a, a new, I would say, fresh look or a new perspective on my coaching and my work and the work that the clients bring. Is tremendously. I I don't even I want to say gratifying, but it's just it's a the safety of that for them and for me is the most important thing. And I've been through the teachings of Sonia. Sorry, I do have a coach named Sonia. Uh, yeah, Sonya, Sally and Beth. Um, those those leaders in teaching healthy boundaries, teaching about narcissistic leadership. And I checked and checked again, like I'm checking myself to make sure that I'm the safest person I can be in the circumstances. And right now I feel good about it. I feel good at good at life for the first time in
0: a really long time. That makes me so happy. So that is so grat- gratifying to hear. And I think that's for the, and it's all you that, it's all you. And, uh, and that's what is so beautiful about being able to have these conversations now and uh, i've had a vision for a long time for what i want the podcast to be and the impact that i want it to make and quite frankly because i've now separated how i'm earning money from any of this you know all i want is a break even state right like a break even and maybe recuperate some of the the debt and that'll be great because there's still all the other stuff there's speaking to do and uh, because i've got some goals as far as what some of my, I'm thinking now into my 60s and I'm thinking, how do I want to show up in my 60s? And I look no further than Yanya to know that there's time to do this work. There is, there are voices that are needed and it's more important at this time for me to get whole again and to not be concerned about to the degree that I can be to feel economically safe. And just even as an aside, as I was doing one of Seth Godin's courses, which you also got involved in one of his workshops, I hope you don't mind me sharing on your behalf, but there are some great communities and great leadership and great resources. And I was taking my second run through the marketing seminar and and looking at, it was very much, there's there's a, a lesson or a prompt on Marketing from the point of view of needs and wants and desires versus the the whole basic needs is very much based on Maslow's hierarchy. is very embedded in this other hierarchy. It's very reminiscent of it. And even then, while I was doing that in, in 2021, realizing that I hadn't taken care, here I was investing once again in another workshop to really take a look at things and to design. And I don't have any regrets, but. Also, by looking at the base of that graphic, going, ticked, these are all things that, like, I need to be taking care of that in order so that I'm in integrity. And also, when the person who is taking a position of leadership, when they don't have enough to meet their basic needs, or if we are over leveraged, that is dangerous territory because. People do not make kind, generous, people-first decisions all the time when they need profit in order to survive. And as we know, and I think as I think it's becoming more and more known as part of the sad story state of affairs out in the self-help and wellness world, is not just the predatory profiteers. It's also a lot of people are not being enough to live.
1: Yeah. And they're selling products to people that want to believe in the magical thinking. I feel like the predatory marketing and where people go with their message is dangerous. I wish people were more well-informed and less desperate. But in all kinds of situations, we're going to find... Uh, people that will serve our needs and or to be served by those people. I do know from what I've learned just in these past years that my predatory parts have, I have been a product of those experiences and I have recreated those experiences because of my own pain. And I don't wish to continue to perpetuate it, but I, I do understand that it was a deep insecurity within myself that drew me in and again the cycle of self-help and the cycle of needing to find somebody and to build that idea that it wasn't within me it wasn't within my power but it was with, within their power that they were going to offer me so it's a it's an unfortunate dynamic and it really does come down to history and many decades of, or
0: centuries actually, of conditioning. So from way back. Yeah, for for all of us. Okay. I remember back in the day, this kind of will be just another parting example of bullshit. I remember back in the day when I was told by oh so many people that no one will ever listen to a full hours episode and that you really should be making all of your episodes 40 minutes or less. And I remember saying to somebody a long time ago that Joe Rogan can get on there every day and talk for three hours. Certainly, one or two people might indulge me an hour a couple of times a month. And so, for anyone and everyone that has stuck it through, because I'm not chopping this up into 40 minute bites and I'm not chopping it up into two separate episodes, I'm putting it out there in its entirety and in the opposite way that you're supposed to do these things. If this is the type of conversation that you want more of, on Tuesday the 15th, and I'm actually, Kathleen, can we punt it to the 22nd? Because I realize I'm flying back from Las Vegas on Tuesday the 15th. I got the thumbs up. So on uh, Tuesday the 22nd, which this month will now be the fourth Tuesday of the month, normally it's gonna be the third. For a long time, I was uh, sitting back thinking I might just disassemble the community. If you would like to come onto Patreon, everyone from 5 dollars a month to 50 dollars a month you're in no more of this layered tiered bs if you want to if you want to be in you know on, on the community calls there once a month and we have a discourse community and i actually have an idea that i want to throw by you for people like us who do things like this we have a lot of really heavy conversations about serious topics and that will continue but twice separately with two people one of them being kathleen We've also been starting to have normal conversations. And every day, Kathleen and I are now doing the Wordle and sending it to each other. And we can continue to do that by 10th. But I'm thinking of putting a Wordle channel in the community because if anyone else wants to join us, we should just share our Wordle results there. And if you don't know what Wordle is, honestly, I'm not a game player, but oh, we're having a hoot. And um, I'll post the link to Wordle in the, I don't even know, I know it's on the New York Times, uh, so that that should be congruent with every single topic that we've discussed. It's not like we're sending people to to somewhere they don't want to (laughs) be, knowing the demographic, we know the demographics here, at least I do. And uh, yeah, and I'm in, I'm in big favor of continuing this conversation, but also having a bit of fun. And more recently, I'm not going to name names. I really hope she comes on as a guest. But with another um, person who we'll just put under the survivor category, we were exchanging recipes. And it was like, we just, we had a phone call where we didn't even talk about this stuff. And we were talking about recipes and sent each other our favorite cookbooks. And we both like to slow cook. I think this is just a perfect, lovely place to round it off. I, I'm so grateful to you not just for your support, your friendship, but also I've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have any other time that we've met. And I really am excited about putting forward a conversation that real time is showing this is an evolving situation. And for people who are needing to critically evaluate their points of view, whether it's because you're or a coach and need to look at what am I really doing here? or and as you can see you can get out or you can stay in it doesn't matter Just do, do the critical evaluation
1: yeah and it's I feel so relaxed. I've always in the past not always but when I thought about it the whole idea and maybe this is just for me but the whole idea of imposter syndrome a lot of it was driven by not questioning things and I don't know that it was so much about The imposter syndrome, or the idea that I was in that space of doing things that didn't feel right in my body, and so there was this thing that was going on within me that was the discomfort of being uncomfortable, which I identified as something else. So I really, I appreciate you, Laura. I appreciate your work. I appreciate this conversation. It's just lovely,
0: and all the best to your building in the business world. Where you feel so valued, I, I'm certain that uh, once again I'll have more to say about that. But for anyone who, like, gosh, so many of us have had to reinvent or think about reinventing, and and I've done that a number of times, and 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 now it, it's just onwards and and there's nothing wrong with changing your mind about something. Yeah. All right. To be I continued. A couple of weeks from Tuesday for sure. And uh, thank you for trusting me with this conversation. And thanks for coming on. Thank you for inviting me.